Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, episode number 20. This week brought to you by Audible. I'm your host, Zach Hamilton. My guest for this episode is actor and director Michael A. Macrae. But first, a quick Film Revered update. As you may have seen on social media, you can now purchase Film Revered merchandise. The first items to hit the store are two t-shirts, the FR Podcast tee, as well as the company tee. If you would like to purchase a shirt, please go to filmrevered.com shirts. Once again, that's filmrevered.com shirts, or see the link dump for a direct link. Coming up next, I have an interview with actor and director Michael A. Macrae. Michael has co-starred in Veep and Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories. More recently, Mike is promoting his feature film Fishbowl California, in which he co-wrote and directed. So please stay tuned as we will now be taking a quick commercial break. All right, guys and gals, are you like me and want something more than music to listen to during your morning commute? Maybe you want to start reading more, but don't have the time to sit down and open a book. Well, for people on the go, there's Audible. Audible offers over 180,000 audiobooks to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, Audible is giving Film Revere podcast listeners a slamming deal. Go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast for a free 30-day trial, and more importantly, get a free audiobook. Once again, go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Thanks again to Audible for their support, and thank you listeners. Now, back to the show. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Michael. Thanks for having me. So on the show today, we're going to be discussing your career both as an actor and as a director, as well as your upcoming film, Fishbowl California, which just recently released. That being said, I'd love to start our talk by asking, where are you from, Michael? Like, where'd you grow up? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't even know where I'm from. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm from <laughs> uh, a suburb called Glendale Heights in uh, the suburbs of Chicago. And, uh, right. you know, people who don't know Glendale Heights, you know, People in LA are like, where are you from? I, I just say Chicago because, you know, and then when someone's like, oh, me too, then you're like, no, I'm actually from Glendale Heights. Like, so, <laughs> like, I'm like, not, I'm not a city boy. I'm like, I'm very suburban. Um, but uh, yeah, I just say Chicago for like the mass population. Oh, yeah. No, I get that, too. I mean, I'm from Michigan originally, and I always end up saying Detroit, but realistically, I'm from, like, Paw Paw, Michigan, which sounds so incredibly hillbilly. It literally was a population of, like, 3,500 people. The closest town to that was Kalamazoo, and then you go to Detroit, because people don't really they, – they just think I'm making names up at that point. So That sounds so small. It sounds like everyone's probably dated one another at one point. Oh, like, it's bad. Yeah. Everyone's one another. Everyone knows everyone. And it's worse when they have like a really bad slogan, like Pawpaw was the town so nice, it named itself twice. And that's, I wish was a joke. It's really not. So oh, that's funny. <laughs> so what did you, uh, what did you go to school for? I went to school originally for, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, I let's rewind. So like when I was in seventh grade, I wanted to be an airline pilot. So I did like a Whoa, report okay. on being an airline. Like you had to do like a career report. Yeah. And, um, I was uh, I was really bad at math growing up. In fact, I had multiple sessions, <laughs> multiple sessions of summer school. It was really, really I was so bad at math. 
And then uh, my family convinced me, like, no, you can't fly a plane because, you know, you're really, uh, you're really bad at math. How are you going to land a plane full of people and not know how to do math? I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So then uh, radio, on-air broadcasting, uh, can't even talk, on-air broadcasting piqued my interest. And, um, you know, I interned at a radio station in Chicago, um, went to school for radio broadcasting, um, you know, right out of high school and thought that's what I wanted to do, moved to L.A., and uh, worked at a station here. Uh, worked at the same station, you know, Seacrest is um, is on oh, air wow, at, okay. and uh, it was cool. It was a great experience, but then it was something I really didn't want to do. I, you know, I started doing like extra work in Chicago on TV shows and and stuff, and I realized you know, being in entertainment is what I wanted to do, and um, you know, kind of fell into you know, started off as an actor, you know, after radio, yeah. after, and then kind of you know, segued into filmmaking. But yeah. It, I didn't go to school for filmmaking originally. You know, radio and TV was was my first uh, my first school venture. Definitely. So I guess my next question would be then: Did you end up going to some kind of school or taking like online, you know, lessons or tutorial? Like, just wait. Like, how did you end up, you know, figuring out how to make a film? I mean, again, you know, you're here to talk about Fishbowl California, which you wrote and directed. So I'm just curious, you know, like how did you get back into filmmaking? You know, I don't think anyone really knows how to make a film. You know, it's, it's kind of, I say that in like a weird sense. Nothing, no class or, or no school can really prepare you for what a film does to you and, and what a film, mm-hmm. you know, requires of you. Um, so I, I kind of started off, like I wrote, a, I wrote this pilot uh, back in 2014, 2015, and had it produced... Um, it was my first like officially written thing that I had produced. Um, I didn't direct it, but I'd always, I wanted to direct it at the time, but I wasn't, you know, I was a young kid. I didn't, you know, know anything about directing. And so, yeah. um, then I moved on to doing, I did a short film and I wrote, I wrote this short film it was like 10 minutes long and directed it. And when I directed that and I was in that whole editing process, you know, with our editor and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to direct. This is all I want to do. Awesome. Uh, so, to prepare, so the next thing was okay. Did a short, did a, you know, we're a pilot. Let's let's do a movie. Like let's do a feature movie, uh, feature film. And and um, and so I think the year, the Christmas before we started shooting Fishbowl, um, you know, family asked, "Who do you want for Christmas?" And I was like, "Books on directing. I don't know how to direct. Let's read <laughs> books on directing and self teach." Um, because I, I did no shit about directing. I still don't know anything about directing. You know, you just you just pick it up as you go. In my in my experience, I mean, maybe Steven Spielberg will tell me I'm a uh, a lunatic, but um, I think you just kind of, you know, if you have a vision, if if you you know if you see something in your head, you know, you know, you pick up everything along the way. If you have a good cinematographer, like they're gonna, you know, you're gonna learn things along the way. I mean, it's something that no school can teach you. You know, something you just have to do. Eventually, you'll get better and better and better. Yeah, like a trial by fire, if you will. Exactly. So, well, and, you know, and speaking about Christmas and the holidays, it definitely is something I was kind of curious about with family. Uh, how, how has your family been as far as being supportive or more, you know, not supportive with your career choices, first as an actor and then now as a director? So, uh, you know, I would always call, I, I call home probably about three times a week, and uh, it is still to this day. Um, but like my first few years out here were a big struggle, you know, and as it is for anybody. Yeah. Um, and it was like to the point where my family kept telling me, all right, you need to find a regular job. You need to stop, you know, 
you know, this is maybe not going to work out for you. Um, and then like, just as, you know, I was about to, you know, throw in the towel, I guess I, I consider throwing in the towel all the time. Uh, you know, one of the times I considered, uh, tossing the towel something, you know, I, I booked a, my first co-star, which was incredible. And yeah. then my family was like, Oh, maybe, maybe you do have something here. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, another couple, couple years go by, I've got more roles. And then, yeah. uh, you know, book something else. And they're like, okay, maybe you do have something here. And then I think you know, my family's been supportive of me as an individual, you know, in anything I choose to do, which is great. Obviously, anything legal. I can't go deal drugs and they're supportive of that. Anyway. <laughs> like my son's a doctor. Well, mine's a drug dealer. <laughs> it's a very solid backup choice. I mean, tax yeah. free money, you're making thousands. Like, that's not a bad idea. No. Um, <laughs> my family... Uh, has been and always will be you know supportive of anything i do but I, you know when my family saw uh fishbowl california i think is when you know and this is you know i made that you know you know in the last year so i'm coming up on eight years in la i think that's when i finally if i would click to that okay i have something here you know i'm, I'm you know i think i'm in it for the for the long haul now Oh, yeah. And and again, it seems kind of silly uh, in a way about the billboards, which we talked about before the show started. But at the same time, it's like that is kind of like some serious validation for not only your work, but also like your career choice. It's like if you're driving down the road, you will see in, you know, I'm assuming Los Angeles is where those billboards are. If you're driving down the road, you'll see a billboard for Fishbowl, California. I mean, that's got to be again, you talk about how your family's like, whoa, OK, like clearly you know, after seeing the film and also seeing the press and everything that has to definitely help make them more supportive. I think not that they weren't along the way, but yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, you suddenly hear of more support from people you didn't really talk to as much during your harder days in LA. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly see the billboard like, Oh my goodness. That's, you know, congrats. been reading for you. I'm like, have you? Uh, no, it's honestly quite flattering. Uh, but yeah, driving by the billboard, like I try to, we have, we have a really big one at a, you know, on a, you know, major street in Hollywood. And, mm. um, and, uh, you know, I drive by it once in a while, you know, during my commutes and, uh, it, it's just cool. Like it, it's, it still doesn't, it's not sinking in yet that that's my movie. That's my right. billboard for my movie. My name's on it. Writer director. Like it's, it's, it's so surreal. And I did a, I actually did another podcast interview last week and I, I parked right outside and meter, like outside staring at the billboard while I'm doing this interview. And it kind of, it really, I don't know, it kept me grounded in a way where it, it was like, I started here, but now I'm here, but I don't want to exactly. be here for long. I want to be there. You know, like it's, it's really, it's cool. I mean, I mean, anyone can get a billboard, you know, it's really not, it's like not like an exclusive thing for True. Know, any one type of person, but it's just, it's, it's cool. I mean, it, it was a humbling experience to, to see that go up and, and for people to call and, and text saying, Oh my God, we passed it. It's, you know, right. it, it's cool. Well, and I think that's the thing with the film industry. It doesn't matter really how you get into it, whether it's as an actor, I think, especially or even as a director, it's there's definitely a stigma of like, look, you can try it, but realistically, you're not going to succeed. But that goes with anything. I mean, when I had told my parents, I'm like, look, I want to want to get in the film industry. I went to film school at Arizona State, dropped out, went to a visual effects school. I'm like, this seems more reasonable. But even then, that's like a hard 
gambit to get into. And yeah. again, people were supportive, but they were still like, if this doesn't work out though, like, you know, at least you have an associate's degree or something. Like at least you can fall back on that. Like there was always like that, at least you can. And it wasn't until I got my first job in Canada, of all places I had to move there, um, that people were like, oh my gosh, like my kid worked on Justice League. Like, okay, this is like a real deal now. Um, so it is kind of interesting how that works is like, they're supportive, but they're always pushing the backup plan. And then once you've actually made it, then they're like, Oh, Whoa, this is crazy. So. Right. I mean, I was always told, you know, uh, you know, during my time here in LA that if you have a backup plan, then your main plan isn't going to pan out because you're going to subconsciously think you have this safety net and then you're not going to give it, you know, you're not going to give you know, you're 110% towards your main plan. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I, 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 I mean, do I have a backup plan? I'm sure I can find one, but I, you know, I keep telling myself now this is, this is what I have to do. This is the only thing I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, and speaking of your career overall, you've, you know, since your start, you've been involved in 21 projects as an actor, five as a director, at least according to your IMDb, I'm sure there's some stuff that maybe may not be on there. That being said, what was your first paid gig in the industry? I don't know because a lot of a lot of like those little indie films that aren't paid. You do it for experience. Oh, I mean, yeah. I guess my first notable co-star was um, uh, like the the best one that I've booked on that resume is Veep on HBO. Um, that was cool, um, but that, I think that's my first legit co-star where it was like, all right, this is the real deal. You know, static contracts and all that fun jazz. Um, but my first thing when I moved out here that I got paid to do was this TV show called America's Court, which is a court reenactment show. So, you know, like, like every, all those court shows are fake. Yeah. Um, or, they're, or they're real, and then they pay you the settlement. Like the, the show oh, dude, it's so shady, yes. <laughs> and so um, I did this show called America's Court where my, you know, air quote, air quote, uh, former friend was suing me because I spilled beer on his Xbox inside the machine. Um, I, you couldn't make this up if you tried. This is an actual, like, this is an actual case that happened at some courthouse in some city. And so this, this, uh, show America's court, it's a real judge and everything. Uh, but like we had to go in and audition for this process and, uh, it, it is like an improv thing. And there's like 300 people that come and they, they kind of pair you up by looks and to see like what makes sense, you know, based on the mm-hmm. scenario. And they're like, all right, 60 seconds, talk about this. And, you know, you know, if we ask you this, you know, in this court case, what would you, what's your response to the, to the you know, plaintiff or the judge? And we had to do it. And I actually met one of my best friends to this day because he was the one that was suing me in, in the show. So uh, he was like one of my, <laughs> I love my that dynamic. Yeah, it's weird. And, uh, and it's, it's so weird because the producers feed you these, um, like, they don't give you like, they don't script you, but they kind of feed you like, all right, so we're in the green room, we're getting ready to go. And they're like, Michael, go ahead and don't get kicked out of the courtroom. Like, like be on the edge of getting kicked out. I was like, does the judge know about this? He's like, don't worry about it. Just, just go with it. Like, get him to say he's about to kick you out. We want, we want a little bit of drama. So like, I had to like mouth off the judge. It was so funny. Um, I actually still have the little DVD at home. I got to watch it. I haven't seen it in years. But this, this adds a whole new light to morning courtroom shows. You saw the bailiff almost <laughs> me in the court. It was great, but it was all it was all like predetermined. It was all, you know, they all knew what's going on. Yeah, 
Wow. So getting back to another kind of political aspect would be your your co-star on um, Veep. Um, how was that? You know, you had mentioned that that was like one of your first big roles, but also one that you enjoyed the most. I mean, what was it like working on that show? Um, one line. It didn't make it in the final cut. It was a three and a half minute scene uh, that got ultimately cut down to 45 seconds. It was a very quick, you know, cut. Um, it was weird how I got that. Uh, and I have to, I have to give credit where credit's due. Um, I, I was booked to do background work as a, like a SAG background gig, you know, three, 300 people. And, uh, I, I, I got, you know, I was really hesitant going in, but the casting director that booked me on this, you know, used me for like a lot of different projects, you know, start my starting out in, in LA. And so, you know, I, I, I did it and I showed up and I go to sign in and they're like, Oh, hang out, you know, hang out for one minute. The first AD wants to talk to you. I was like, Oh, Jesus, what did, what did I do? I, did, <laughs> I just got here. Am I, am I in trouble? Anyways. Um, so then uh, the first AD comes over. His name's Dale Stern. Um, he's actually a, he's a director as well on the, on the show, he, but he, he's first ADing and he goes, all right, so there's a scene going on with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and this, you know, troubled mother of this college campus, and you're going to be this guy in the crowd who just yells at her for, um, you know, taking too much of the Veep's time. And, oh like, God. it lines this. I'm like, oh, you mean, like, you know, because your background, you're not supposed to talk, right? So I'm like, oh, like, like, like hand motions or something, right? He's like, no, no, this is the line. I'm like, what? Okay. So I did the line a couple of times. Like, okay, hang out. And so I was hanging out for five hours, and I had no idea – what was happening? I had no idea. Was I, I was like, was I getting a line? I had no idea. I just showed up. So I had to like audition for it on set. So it came down between me and another guy. And uh, uh, they're rehearsing this scene. It was Julia, Matt Walsh, Tony, like everybody from the show. Um, they're rehearsing the scene, and I had no idea what was happening. And then they call me over. Like, all right, we're gonna, yeah, you're gonna, you got the part. We're gonna, we're gonna have you do it. And um, so I had no idea about the rehearsal. They're, they're rolling cameras on the first take, and I'm standing there waiting to hear. I couldn't hear what the line, you know, what, what was happening. And so uh, everyone stops talking during the scene. They all look at me, and Julia coughs. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, that's my line. <laughs> I, but I wasn't in the rehearsal, so I didn't know that they cut, like, two pages of dialogue or, or a half page, whatever it ended up being. So, um uh, that was it was really funny to be called out by Elaine. <laughs> right. it, was, it was a cool experience. If anybody, I think that was really really funny. It was it was so worth it. Uh but uh finally, you know, you know, we did a scene, we did it right. And um afterwards she came up to me and was like, Hey, you did a great job, man. I was like, Is this for a life I know this is Julie Lee Dreyfus telling me I did pretty good, so Right, definitely. Now, according to your resume, in 2013, you would go on to begin your directing career. What made you decide to get into directing? I, I'm able to distinguish what good acting and bad acting is, in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. But I was never that strong of an actor, you know. So I like organizing things and being behind the camera and, you know, in a sense, calling the shots and, and, and being the deciding factor. Like, what a viewer is going to see visually and and I like getting the performances out of actors. And um, so when I realized, you know, acting wasn't really something that, you know, was my strongest suit, I, you know, went into writing and directing, uh, more so directing, but 
you know, I, I typically write and direct my own things. Okay. What would you say is a director that has had the most influence on you when it comes to your work? Uh, Judd Apatow. Um, I've, I mean, 40 year old virgin is probably, you know, one of my all time favorites. Um, and, and that was basically, I think it was before, was that before the office for Steve Carell? I think it was right before the office or right like, during the first few seasons of the office. Yeah. So that was before Steve Carell was really Steve Carell. So, I mean, watching that and, and other movies and stuff he's produced, um, I, I mean, I love Bridesmaids. I mean, comedy is, is hilarious. Um, but, uh, but Judd Apatow is probably one of the top three filmmakers. Um, uh, you know, being the reason why I chose comedy and, and wanted to, to, you know, wanted to do comedy. Definitely. What, you know, I have a question for you as well. What would you say you enjoy most about being involved in this industry, the film and television industry? Oh, I mean, the hours suck. No, um, <laughs> they so do. It's okay. <laughs> they, they do. They do. No, uh, we, we work in this business where we, like, we can have fun. Um, we, we're not cutting people open for a living. We're not drilling teeth for a living. We're not, uh, we're not saving lives. Like we're yeah. making art. We're, you know, finding, you know, we're, we're taking a story. We're, we're making it into, you know, into a, a film or a show. And, uh, we're having a good time while we're, while we're doing it. And we're fed like every three hours. Um, so I, I was going to say, you know, on these on sets I worked on, like, why are we, or why is anyone complaining? We're fed every three hours. We're not doing anything that's, you know, I mean, yes, our line of work is hard in its own, you know, it has its own reasons why it's hard, but, you know, we live a pretty cushy life doing what we do. I mean, this is a, yeah. this is a business that everyone would love to be a part of. And, you know, um, but I, I love it because it's just, it, you never know what could happen, right? Like, that I, is true. It's, it's, it's like mystical. It's weird. Definitely. You know, before we get to your film, Fishbowl, California, I'd like to do a rapid fire round, if you will. So I don't know how rapid I would be today, but we'll try this. <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll do them quickly, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go here. <laughs> so I would love to know, what are your top three favorite films? Uh, well, uh, The Four-Year-Old Virgin. Um, uh just more more recent movie Sully by Clint Eastwood, phenomenal movie. If you haven't seen that, and third one, I'd have to go with, you know, I, the first Hangover. The other ones weren't as good, but the first Hangover, yeah. That is awesome. I love how you threw a drama in there, little little yeah, fact based drama. Sully? I think that's like one of the most phenomenal, like real story. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, real story. You know, to the screen movies uh, about a heroic you know, event that day. I mean, that was so well done in my opinion. Definitely. What would you, what's the last TV show you watched? The office. Uh, what was the last movie you saw in theaters? Rampage. Rampage. Really? Yeah. And what were your thoughts yeah. on that? Quick, quick review. Basically Jurassic park, but with an ape, but I okay. think I stole that from somebody. <laughs> Either way, definitely but, probably sums that movie up. And with a flying wolf, I think, and a crocodile, I think as well. A lot of, I, lot I don't of fun remember. stuff. I, I, I might have dozed off in the middle of it. I have no idea. My <laughs> friend said I fell asleep, but I woke up at the credits. So did I see it? Probably. Uh, lastly, name an up-and-coming actor or actress that the audience should be looking out for. Uh, Steve Olsen Steve and Catherine Cortez. 
Love it. Not to be biased. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, the audience definitely knows Steve Olson. We had him on the show a couple weeks ago. Um, so I think that's definitely a good pick. I mean, he's such a funny guy. I feel like he's on the cusp. Like this movie, I think for both of you, could really catapult careers here. You as a director and him as an actor, as well as Catherine Cortez. It's unreal. Like you never know what could happen from this. And that, and that we're, we're just taking one day at a time. But I told mm-hmm. Steve, I'm like, Steve, you need to be on a series. You need to be a series regular on a show or, you know, Catherine needs to be acting full time. Definitely, uh, They're both. I mean, Catherine's performance is phenomenal. Um, I mean, I can't sing her praises enough. Uh, she is just uh, one amazing, I mean, just captures the emotion and I mean, displays it on screen so well. And Steve's comedy is so, so funny. I mean, he's, I mean he does a million commercials that are all comedic based commercials. I'm, oh this, yeah. This guy is, is hilarious. And we found Rodney and or you know rodney and steve and you know it just was kind of serendipitous in a way well and yeah and that's what i'd like to do is just move on to your recently released feature film fishbowl california which we're talking about now which is also available on itunes amazon and other video on demand services uh the film tells the story of a man struggling to find purpose in life who is then enlightened by a drunk ailing widow now, not only are you the director of Fishbowl California, but as you pointed out earlier, that you like to write and direct more often than not. And in this case, you did write the script. What inspired the story behind Fishbowl California? Uh, well, I, I'm, you know, was one of three writers on this film. Um, as far as inspiration, we wanted a comedy. Uh, Wyatt Alador and I, uh, he's my co-writer. We sat down, we wanted to do like a buddy comedy, just something funny, a movie, like 90 minutes full of jokes. Um, and we had a pretty funny script. We thought it was funny. It was raunchy. It was like American Pie-esque. And yeah. um, we wanted a movie that had heart. But, you know, because comedies typically don't do well at film festivals. And uh, overseas, you know, comedy doesn't translate. So, you, like, you needed, you know, that family heart string. You needed, you know, you know, you just needed a little bit of dramatic elements. And so we brought in a third writer, uh, Jordan Hodges. Who um, who brought a little bit of the heart and you know scaled the comedy back to be to still be really funny but also at the same time be serious um, have have a moment where you know you could change a laugh into uh, a tear rather quickly because you you know you don't have a lot of time to do it the movie's only eighty three minutes but yeah. then to also end the movie on a laugh like that is that's pretty hard to do um, but there was no direct inspiration. Um, from this, um, I mean, we just wanted, we, we just kind of, I think we started off writing a few pages of, you know, character one, character two, and then we're like, let's just give these people names and kind of, right, what's the purpose? You know, who does he meet? What's the stories? So we just kind of came up with A, B, and C plot, and it just kind of, you know, morphed into Fishbowl, California, and, um, you know, we, I mean, we, we, I was inspired personally by uh, St. Vincent. Uh, by Ted Melfi, uh, Theodore Melfi. Okay. Uh, he directed Hidden Figures. Um, and uh, I guess, you know what, we can add him to the list of filmmakers that inspired me as well. Uh, Theodore Melfi. Uh, St. Vincent is with uh, Bill Murray and uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy. And this, uh, I think, Jacob Tremblay, I think was his name. I could be wrong on that actor. But uh, it was a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal movie about this older, younger um dynamic and it's you don't see that a lot and we wanted to do this older younger harold and Maude, no romance 
you know, but, you know, but still have this bond, this bonding moment. Cause it's, it's sweet to kind of see, you know, someone connect with somebody on like a 30 to 40 year age gap. It's, it's, it's quite nice to see on screen. And so that, I think that was my inspiration for that. And we just kind of, you know, stuck with that and just, you know, we all gave it our little bit of, um, you know, inspiration, you know, when we all wrote this together. You know, something else that definitely stands out immediately, I would say, is a terrific cast for this film. What was it like? Like, what was the casting process like for you and the team? I mean, Steve, Steve was the only audition for the movie. Uh, he was the only actor that actually auditioned for the movie. Everything else is referral based or straight offers. Like, you don't, okay. like, Kate Flannery is so seasoned from, you know, she played Meredith in the office. You yeah. don't ask Kate Flannery to audition. You just know she's going to bring her A game. Katrina Bowden, you're not going to ask her to audition. It's just, uh, it's a straight offer. Um, so Steve was our, Steve was the one person we put through the ringer through three auditions. And, um, and boy, I'm glad we did. And uh, Steve uh, has been so invested in the project since. And so he kind of helped me with the casting process. Uh, it started off with referrals. Jenna Willis, who plays Olivia, is friends with Quentin Aaron and Katrina Bowden. So we got those two folks on a referral and you know then since we had a little bit of credibility behind us now um steve and i wanted to take it a little bit further like okay who else can we get and he's like well in terms of rich really you know the jump to conclusions guy from office space and um you know we got him interested and then we're like okay how, how much further can we go so we were we were having fun like emailing and texting and calling back and forth about people who we think might be good for these parts and uh you know that's how we got tim bagley and uh max adler um you know and and everybody else in the movie uh just kind of fell in through you know people that i knew or someone knew in the movie that we trusted that could bring you know a good comedic element to to the movie and uh, it was it was a fun process i think it took you know you know about three weeks or so to kind of fully lock in the whole cast but it, it was a as much as it was tough, it was also very rewarding at the same time. Definitely. You know, it's something I'm actually kind of curious about, circling back to Steve. We, again, as we mentioned, we had him on the show. And it's funny because you mentioned that he's the only one that had to audition. And he auditioned three times. And something that I'm curious about, because he had mentioned this in his interview with me, that the first interview he did, he went completely off book. And was not sure if that was a good thing or not, because the next scene that he got was more of a dramatic scene and was told to stay on script. Was that? I'm just curious what your mindset was when that first audition happened, when he did go off book in the comedic scene. I heard his answer, and, and he's not wrong, not wrong at all about it. Um, most directors and filmmakers would have passed on him, um, even though he wasn't off book and, and, and didn't say all the right lines. We, it was a, it was still very believable. I still felt like I was watching the scene that we later shot in the movie, even though the lines went right. Okay. And uh, I, it was funny, and I laughed the entire time. And you do, <laughs> I just kind of forgot about the fact that he got the lines wrong. Um, and I said, you know what? He's worth seeing another tape from. So we did a second tape, a dramatic tape, and he nailed it. And I said, okay, well, we've got, our, we've got our June. We've got Catherine. Now, the, the trick key is, are they going to have chemistry? That was the biggest yeah. thing. And at first, a lot of, you know, you know, my manager and, you know, we, you know, a few people told me they weren't quite convinced that this was, was going to be the right casting decision, but it, it ended up being the, the best casting decision in Steve 
Um, and we, I mean, I can't see it. I can't see the movie any other way. And, uh, um, oh, yeah. And he, I mean, he just, I mean, he really morphed into this and, um, I mean, it shows, and I think, yeah, I think it's going to do very well for him in his career. Definitely. Um, was there an actor or actress that you were surprised that you landed? Uh, yeah, Tim Bagley. So, and Tim Bagley and Kate Flannery. Um, so, I knew Tim Bagley growing up from watching King of Queens. He played uh, Glenn the Neighbor. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Kevin James, yeah. Uh, I mean, I would watch that on a little TV that I had just turn like i had to turn the the knob to go to the next channel it had rabbit antennas it was staticky but every night i'd watch the king of queens and i eventually got all you know seven eight seasons on dvd and um i keep like he wasn't in the show that much but when he he was really funny like he played a really nosy neighbor he's like maybe he's really <laughs> good at that um and so he had the same agent uh as richard really so you know, when we were doing the offer for, for Richard, I said, well, hey, I've got this role. Um, and it wasn't written yet when I was interested in Tim Bagley. It wasn't written yet. And I said, hey, I've got this role for Tim Bagley. I don't know what it is yet, but I can get you three pages or four pages in a day. You know, would he be interested? We've got, you know, these are the people we have in the film so far. They just said, yeah, send it, send it over and, you know, we'll look at it. I didn't know what I was writing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just need to impress him. The agent uh, writes back, oh, Tim Bagley, you know, we're good to close on Tim Bagley, or he accepts the offer. But I'm thinking, oh, you mean Richard Reilly, right? Because we just sent this over. But like, oh, we haven't heard from Richard, but uh, Tim Bagley's in. He would love to do it. And I was like, get, uh, it was amazing. Um, and uh, the same thing with Kate, we, it was a little touch and go. We hadn't heard back, and, you know, we were getting close to shooting, and then, you know, that, that email came through, hey, Deals closed. You're good to go. Here's the contact info. You know, get the ball rolling. And um, it was it was it was great. I mean, they were both so great to work. I mean, everybody was so great to work with. Um, but Tim especially because you know he's in so many projects and he's in so mm-hmm. many projects because he is so good. Um, the night before shooting, we spent we were at eleven o'clock at night. We were on the phone for like forty five minutes. He was just saying, well. What if I did this? How do you feel about this? Because I think, you know, you know, Woody would be saying this to to June, and that, but he'd be feeling that. It, it's it's that's how you know you're working with somebody so prepared and and so professional. They spend they spend they invest the time and on this low budget movie. Like that's that's how you know they care. And yeah. um, and he's he's today. I mean, I consider him a, a good friend, and he's a good good human. Um and uh. It, it was just a, it was an unreal experience. And on set, like there's a still photo of me laughing on set, like kind of like my head in the air, like, uh, like giving that, Oh, okay. face. like, that's, that's, that's a good, mm-hmm. good note. Him giving me a comedy note. And I was like, is this really happening right now? This is the coolest thing. ever." <laughs> well, I love the full circle of that too. Is like, you know, you were first exposed to Tim Bagley as a nosy neighbor. And then ultimately now you're directing this feature film with him starring in it. As a neighbor, I just think that's kind of hysterical. And again, also busting you up probably as he did in King of Queens. Uh, he, he, he brought the the uh, Afghanistan line in the movie. Uh, he's always so dry. It looks like Afghanistan. <laughs> that wasn't scripted. I'm I'm giving him the credit for that. That was all him. And then we did some. They improv some jokes about Trump and how the bushes were so tall. It was like she was building a border around her house between her and Mexico. 
Um, (laughs) We couldn't go with that. that. I I wanted to play it safer and not be so, I didn't want to play into the politics because, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, half of the people will think it's funny and half of the people won't think it's funny. So I relate that a dry garden and dry plants, you know, you know, that haven't been watered in months or, you know, California's got this drought, you know, looks like the deserts of Afghanistan, you know, it's, <laughs> so he brought, I mean, that, that line is, it was arguably probably one of the funniest in the entire movie. Well, and it's the delivery of it alone. I mean, especially in the trailer, which, you know, we'll link <laughs> as always in the link dump, but like, again, you know, the music cuts right there, but it's like, it's such a good line. Cause it comes out of nowhere and you're not yeah. expecting it. And like, you can't help but laugh out loud to that. It's hysterical. Yeah. I mean, every time I love when we play it in a theater or uh, we played it in a few theaters, um, that gets the biggest roars. I mean, it's just so funny. It just hits on it. It's on a good beat, and the trailer, oh, yeah. yeah, music drops in trailers really help. Because um, as Americans, we have to be spoon fed comedy sometimes. So in mm-hmm. trailers, when we drop the music, you know, this is going to be a funny line coming up right now. You know, yeah, uh, pay attention. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'm glad that we've we've transitioned out of laugh tracks on TV shows. You know, you know, we we can kind of think for ourselves. You know, for once, but. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's amazing how funny that online is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible. Oh yeah. Uh, what was it like working with the rest of the cast of the film? I was like, I felt like a kid in a, in an amusement park, like you need to experience all these different cool things. And, um, everybody was phenomenal. I mean, the crew was phenomenal as well. I, I don't want to forget the crew. Um, they made this possible on this budget and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for anything more from, and then the producers were, were so great. Scott Schneider, uh, Pratesh Shah, um, they, you know, have been, you know, they believed in this whole process. And so, I mean, you know, everyone's been great. The, the whole cast was great. The, the crew was great. I, you know, I have honestly zero complaints on anybody. Were there any hurdles that you and the team had to overcome? Oh, of, of course. As an indie movie, you know, or any movie rather, you know, Murphy's Law is, the only law that <laughs> seems to exist when you're shooting, uh, anything that can't happen will happen. Um, you, you have film permits. Great. Well, there's, there's going to be an issue with one of your permits at one location. Someone's going to bust you for it. Like there's stuff like that, you know? Oh um, yeah. Did you need to shoot in this one parking space that happens to be clear? Oh, well, someone's parked there, even though you have a permitted. <laughs> oh um, my God. We, so we, we scouted, this is a great story. Um, so we scouted June's house um, weeks prior to shooting, and we, we we loved the location. It was a little noisy because it was right by the uh, the freeway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were like, we can live with this. We talked to the sound guy, we can live with this. Um, when we get there for day one of shooting, a construction company is demoing a building across like across the street. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me! Like we, oh we my gosh, we, we surveyed the neighborhood. We we thought there'd be no potential issues. So. I walked over and I was like, Hey guys, um, you know, sorry to bother you guys. I'm doing this indie movie. We're shooting here for six days. Uh, my first movie, we're spending a lot of money was wonder. I like, can I buy you guys lunch to like disappear for a little bit or whatever? Like, what, what can I do? They're like, let me make a phone call. And then, uh, he goes, I'll give you one better. You buy us all pizza right now. We'll go away for six days. I just got order the pizza right now. I, I, I bought some pizza, but 
you know, they're union employees and they're paid salary. They're paid by the hour or whatever. Yeah, so that's true. They, they're getting paid. It didn't matter to them, you know, but someone, I'm sure the company was mad, but uh, what's weird is that June's house and the whole strip in the block is, is demoed. It's gone because they're putting these apartment complexes there. Oh my gosh. And, uh, uh, but it's weird. Like I, I, this little indie filmmaker got a construction crew to, to shut down for six days. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I love I that. We, I thought we were. I thought our movie went, was going to tank. I was like, no, we're not going to be able to shoot this because it's too noisy. Well, what I love about it too is, it was like just pizza. Like it wasn't like ongoing pizza. It was just like this one time, get us pizza, and you bought they us were for really a week. Cool about it, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's weird because um, you're expecting a no. Like they're not gonna, you know, they don't know me. That why are they going to do me a favor? But you know. Uh, what I've realized, you know, if you if you t- talk to people in, in a you know in a good manner, you know, they'll they'll consider things, and I'm really grateful. I mean, I wish I remember their names. I wanted to send them a copy of the movie, or you know, I didn't have their info, but definitely grateful that they <laughs> postponed that. Now, again, as we kind of talked about having Steve Holtz on the show, something that I had told him uh, in our interview was that this film truly has a potential to take off like a bullet. I think this is largely in part due to the relatable and, as we had touched on, heartfelt story uh, that you've put together here with the other writers. Was it always your intention to craft a comedy that not only had last, but, you know, heart? Like, was that, I know you'd mentioned that kind of after you'd started that was something, but was that like your intention from the get-go? Is like, let's be different. You know, like, let's actually have, let's make the audience feel as well as laugh. No, that wasn't the intention. Uh, I think Wyatt and I wanted a script that was funny because, you know, we both have, you know, experience writing comedy. And mm-hmm. so, no, that wasn't the in- intention, but, you know, uh, one of my, you know, Jordan Hodges, who was our third writer, third writer that came in to uh, bring the heart, you know, to the film. He asked me, you know, what do you want from this movie? I said, I want everything. I said, I want to make the money back. I want to jump into the next thing. I want to play at every film festival. I want to go to South by Southwest. He goes, well, you can't have that all. Like, what do you want? I said, I just want a film that people can watch, laugh, and just it maybe it you know, relates to them. He goes, well, you need some heart in the movie. Like, if you want to play some festivals, you need a little bit of drama. And so, you know, although it wasn't originally my intention to do that, uh, again, I'm glad we did because it, you know, it, it, it's so cool to be able to make someone laugh for 35 minutes you know, on and off, and then cry for a good 35 to 60, 30, you know, 30 to 60 seconds or whatever, you know? So it's, it's cool how fast you can make a switch in a film and then, you know, then switch back again, um, you know, to end on a happy note. Um, but yeah, no, not, not originally the intention, but, you know, you know, again, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it a happy accident, but yeah, I guess maybe it was a little bit of a happy accident. Well, a huge thank you to Michael A. McRae for joining me on the show today. Again, you can catch his latest film, Fishbowl California, now on Amazon, iTunes, and other video on demand services. Listeners, seriously do yourselves a favor. Watch this film. You really won't regret it. Like, if you're having a downer day, this film will pick you right up. And it's just, it's a lot of laughs. There's a really great cast. You need to check out this film. Seriously, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. Zach, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. 
Well, that's the end of episode 20 of the Film Revere podcast. Be sure to show your support for the FR podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you happen to listen to the show. Another great way to show your support is by getting a free audiobook and 30-day free trial from Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Lastly, my guest for next week will be Mary Mauser, who recently starred as Samantha LaRusso in the hit YouTube Red series Cobra Kai. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of the Film Revere podcast. Have a great week.